you know, in all of the grants that I write, there's some element of companionship that I'm talking about. So even if the the core service is financial management for seniors and helping them to pay their rent and essential utilities before they use their spending money, um, they're still working with our staff or our volunteers to accomplish that. So we're providing them with someone to talk to, with someone that they know who really cares about them, um, with someone who's looking out for their best interest. And I think that that service, which is intrinsic in everything that we offer, um, is, is the most important thing that we do. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? My name is Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. In today's episode, I speak with Meg Barheit, who works for an elderly services nonprofit in Boston, Massachusetts. So her nonprofit offers tons and tons of different services to the elderly community in the greater Boston area. Um, so she helps coordinate uh, with volunteers and employees and things like that to, to get help to these seniors. One of the really cool things that she does uh, is she comes up with cool programs and events for these senior citizens to be a part of as well. Uh, one of the coolest ones that I heard about that uh, that we will talk about at length in this in this interview is the senior prom that she puts on every year. So she has this wonderful senior prom, um, and I actually won't talk any more about it. I'll just wait for her to talk about that during the interview. Um, we will also talk about some of the struggles and difficulties that face the growing elderly population, and particularly in the United States, um, what that looks like for the elderly population here. And um, and then we'll talk a little bit about why it is that Meg has uh, this sort of connection to and desire to help out elderly people, which is a really wonderful, wonderful thing to do because uh, they can often be sort of forgotten people in society. So without further ado, here is Elderly Services Nonprofit. Meg, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Blake. Yeah, absolutely. So I was super excited to get your email. I like I read the first sentence of your email about about like elderly services and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, this doesn't sound very exciting. And it's like every single sentence that the email went on, it just sounded more and more and more exciting. Of course, by the time you got to the senior prom that you put on, I was like, oh my gosh, we have to talk about this, um, which we'll talk about that much later in the interview. But so why don't we start with you just telling people in general about your job and about the company you work for, like what you guys do, the breadth of all your programs, and then the breadth of uh, responsibilities that you have, because both are very wide. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I work for an agency called Ethos, um, and we're in Boston, we're a nonprofit, and all of our programs are about helping to keep seniors and adults with disabilities living at home and living with independence. So we're one of 26 agencies in Massachusetts that provide in-home care services. Uh, we do things like provide homemakers, someone to push that heavy vacuum cleaner or carry the laundry up and down the really steep basement stairs, help with bathing, dressing and grooming, transportation to doctor's appointments, those kinds of things, like physical care services that people may need to stay independent at home. Mm -hmm. 
Um, every neighborhood in Massachusetts is covered by one of these agencies, but Ethos is unique in that we have a huge plethora of other programs and services that help those same folks. So chances are, if you need some help with bathing, dressing, and grooming, you may also need some help with understanding your Medicare and Medicaid coverage or help with grocery shopping, things of that nature. Um, so if it's, I'm just going to go through a little list to give you some examples of the types of other services that we offer. Um, we have opportunities to take health and wellness classes and attend social events like our senior prom. Uh, we have expert assistance in planning for long-term care. We have volunteers who can help with yard work and heavy chores like painting a living room or getting packed up for a move. We have in-home depression counseling, the only program in Boston that offers in-home services for seniors to be counseled for their depression. We have support for caregivers, meals on wheels, someone to accompany you to a doctor's appointment, uh, to provide simple companionship and conversation in the home, computer skills. Um, I could go on and on, but I think you get the, the idea of the, the kind of the range and the scope of what we offer. Totally. Let me let me interject a question here really quick. So some of those things you mentioned are, are pretty intensive, um, like helping somebody with clothing, bathing, like like some basic stuff. So if I think a lot of people's question would be if somebody is at the point where they're having trouble with clothing themselves or bathing themselves, why wouldn't they move to a skilled nursing facility? And I guess that then begs the question, at what point do you guys recommend that somebody does move on to living in a nursing home? What a great question. Um, so a couple of points. One is that it is far more cost efficient to provide these types of services in someone's own home than to have them living full time in a nursing home. So the programs that these um, in-home physical care services that we run this is funded through the state of Massachusetts. So this is all um, state money. And so obviously cost efficiency is of the essence. If that elder is going to go into a nursing home, it's going to cost the state much more um, to provide these services. The second point is just, you know, think about your elderly loved ones and think about yourself and where do you want to be when you're 70, 80, 90, 100 years old, do you want to be in your own home surrounded by, you know, photos of your family and your memories? Or do you want to be, you know, in an assisted living community or a nursing home, maybe even sharing a room with somebody else? Definitely. Um, uh, I think common sense and a lot of research tells us that folks want to stay at home. Um, so we believe in um, dignity and independence as two of our, our core values. And so when a senior has the ability to make their own decisions, um, if they say they want to stay at home, we will do everything we can to help them meet that goal. Even when we think they may be making the wrong decision, um, it's not our decision to make. So the decision, the right to make bad decisions is still a right. And we, we provide that to our seniors. So let's talk about that point for you guys. At, at what point are you thinking that it would be a bad decision? Because again, it sounds like you guys are taking a much more um, sort of uh, uh, like progressive approach to this in terms of the the people that you think are uh, should still be at home. So it, at what point is it even kind of too much for you guys? Like at what point are you guys like, ah, I don't know, like if this is the best fit for you to still be in your own house? Yeah, uh, it's, it's very tricky. Um, we don't have doctors on staff, but we have a nursing staff um, in these services that we run, the home, the personal care and home services, they're highly regulated. So if 
if we're, we can only provide, say, with the funding that someone is eligible for, if we can only provide support in the home for, let's say, 10 hours a day, and in the, the other hours that we're not there, that person is continually falling, going to the emergency room, um, we would need to bring in a wider support network of doctors and, and really look at their um, their personal needs. Um, if the senior says they want to stay at home and they have that capacity, again, we still have to honor that. But, um, you know, there are other parties that will pull in like doctors and social workers and mental health professionals as necessary to try to comprehensively work with the elder um, to either convince them, encourage them, um, or bring in whatever other supports we can to help them stay there. Right, right. All right, Meg, so let's tell people about all of the many different hats that you wear for this company. So what are the different things that you do in your role? Okay, so my role, I'm my title is the Director of Counseling and Support Services, and um, it's such a mouthful. So essentially what I do is I oversee all of our programs that use volunteers in this effort to help people stay at home. Um, so this is the nonprofit world. There's always more work to do than staff to do it. So I definitely wear many hats, so to speak, as do all of my coworkers. So some days I'm loading boxes into my cars and decorating a hall for a fundraiser. And other days I'm sitting at my desk doing reports or making presentations in the community. So every day is different, which I love. Um, so my programs, as I said, use volunteers. So I'm not only supervising the 11 staff members that administer these programs, but also the cohort of 550 volunteers that we have currently active. And we work with 2,000 volunteers every year who do one-time projects like yard work for a senior or helping someone paint their living room. Hmm. Um, so first and foremost, I have a lot of HR kind of duties like hiring and firing if necessary, although I've never been there before. Um, regular supervision for my staff, you know, managing schedules and time off, all of that kind of administrative stuff. Um, a core part of my job is working with our chief executive officer to maintain funding for our programs. So I either write myself or collaborate with our grant writer on applications for funding, researching new funding opportunities, just trying to stay abreast of any new uh, foundations that may be popping up or foundations shifting their focus, meaning that we could now apply for something that we wouldn't have been eligible for previously. So let's stop there really quick. Like what percentage of your money is coming from where? Like state, federal, uh, private funds, things like that? Great question. So agency-wide, we're about 80 to 90% government funds. Um, and then all of that is supplemented by private foundations and individual donations. And we do one um, large scale fundraiser every year. So government funding is really our bread and butter, obviously, with 80 to 90 percent. Um, most of where that hits where for my programs that I run, it's typically a contract with the state of Massachusetts. And that contract will be for a set amount of money. And that typically doesn't cover all of the costs that it takes to run a program. So that's where the, the grant writing um, and the researching of new funding opportunities really comes into play to bridge that gap between what the state contract amount is and the amount it actually takes to run the program. Yeah. Do you, by any chance, are you friends with anybody else at other nonprofits uh, that has like a similar role to yours? Or just in general, are, are you friends with other people at other nonprofits um, that are completely 
you're related to elderly care? Yes. Yeah. Um, I started my career in AmeriCorps. Um, so right after college, I did two years of service um, in AmeriCorps here in Boston. And so I made some really fantastic friends in, in that experience. And they've all stayed, most of them, within the nonprofit fields in Boston. Um, some working with elders, some working with, with youth, with all different kinds of agencies. So it's been really interesting to kind of compare experiences and share common burdens together um, as we've grown in our careers. Yeah. So do you find that it's interesting to be in the role that you're in at the company that you're in that it's it's seen as less, like less sexy, I guess, and like a little bit maybe more <laughs> difficult to do fundraising and things like that, like that people are maybe more excited to give money to children than they are to adults? Absolutely. Um, I think that elder, I mean, there's a huge conversation to be had here about seniors being overlooked in our society. And I think that's absolutely true when it comes to funding opportunities. There is so much out there for youth and education. And it's just, there's a really narrow window of programs that we can can even qualify for. Um, we, we get creative. So we have like a really robust internship program. So we've gotten some funds for workforce development by really highlighting that part of what we do. So we, we try to kind of take different lenses on the work that we do, but funding just for elders is not, I mean, there, there needs to be a lot more of it coming down the pipeline, given the way the population is aging very rapidly. So it is interesting to compare that because there's, there is a lot more for, for youth and families. Yeah, I would imagine. All right. So before we go forward and talk about even more responsibilities and more different things you have to do, let's take another step back to one of the <laughs> other jobs that you already did mention, which is um, interviewing, hiring, firing, like HR related stuff, things like that. So um, when you were looking for new volunteers, I mean, these people are volunteering their time. So I imagine, you know, you, you very much want to hire them, you know? So <laughs> what, what is it that you are looking for? Um, what are the kind of like minimum qualifications? And then what, what's like the most excited you've ever gotten about a candidate? Like what would make for a super good candidate in your <laughs> eyes? So I think when looking for a new, when looking at new volunteers, you know, communication is really important and just thoughtfulness around why, um, why they want to be volunteering in general and volunteering specifically here at Ethos. So in terms of availability and what the volunteer has to give, um, you can make a big impact by volunteering once a month. Um, if you have the time, you can also make a big impact volunteering three days a week. Um, but I've had people come and say, you know, I work full time and I'm also a student and I have a young daughter, but I would love to volunteer three times a week. And I'm just sitting there thinking there's no way this is going to last um, and trying to direct them to something that might fit their schedule a little better. Um, so being really thoughtful about what you're actually able to give. And then as a, as a new volunteer coming on board, also really being able to talk about what you're looking to get out of volunteering. I don't believe that volunteering is truly 100% altruistic. And I don't mean that to demean volunteering in any way. Um, but folks are always looking to get something out of the experience and they absolutely should. So whether that's just spending time with a senior because they really miss their grandparents that they've moved away from, or whether it's experience to put on a resume and apply for a new kind of job, if I can talk to the volunteer about what that goal is, I can match them with a, with a volunteering experience that helps them meet that goal um, will provide them with more fulfillment and 
ultimately that they'll stick with for a much longer period of time. Yeah, definitely. Um, so strong, yeah, strong communication and thoughtfulness, I think, are the two key components to a successful volunteer for me. Cool. Gotcha. So let's move on to some of the other things that you do in your job, like um, program development, ideas, like all that kind of stuff. Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, as I said, I run five different programs now, and that's always growing and changing as opportunities come our way. Um, I mentioned, you know, the population, the older adult population growing rapidly as the baby boomers age. Um, so in addition to kind of informal feedback that we get from our seniors about what they'd like to see or what new programs and services they could benefit from, there's a lot going on right now in terms of more formal research to provide us with ideas and guidance on new ideas for programming. Um, so for example, uh, this spring, Governor Baker of Massachusetts signed an executive order to establish a council to address aging in Massachusetts um, to come up with a plan between public and private efforts to support healthy aging. So these people are meeting frequently and they're sharing their thoughts and findings with agencies like Ethos. And we can take all of that great information and, and think about what we can do with that to take action. Um, Boston is running an age-friendly initiative through the World Health Organization, trying to make our city um, as age-friendly as possible. And we've held 23 listening sessions to hear seniors' feedback and community members' feedback on areas for improvement. We got this whole plan with like 75 action steps to make Boston age-friendly. So we look to more formal research like that to kind of guide our work. Um, we also, as I mentioned, listen to our seniors. So one of my favorite, favorite examples is that we at Ethos have for many years been providing a computer skill program with high school students. So the seniors go out to the high school, they sit in the computer lab and the students teach them basic computer skills. And it's, it's really lovely to watch and, and it's a lot of fun. We were getting feedback from the seniors that they couldn't necessarily translate those skills into their own computers back home. So the computers at the lab were PC desktop computers and maybe Susie Q has a new iPad that her granddaughter bought her and just could not translate between the two devices. Mm. We also had a lot of feedback that it was difficult to get to the high school. Transportation was expensive um, in the wintertime. The weather was keeping people at home. So what we did, in addition to the, the computer class with the students, is that we started matching volunteers to help seniors with computer skills in the senior's home on the senior's own computer. So the volunteers visit once a week for six weeks and the senior completely dictates the curriculum, whether that's how do I turn my computer on um, or how do I sell my old collectibles on eBay, the volunteer will meet them where they're at and, and help them learn those skills on their own computer in their own home. That's really cool. So it's really, yeah, it's really a win-win and, and it also helps as we have a lot of volunteers who want to do some one-on-one -on -one work with seniors but don't have a, a long duration of time to give. So like college students on summer break and now we can match them in this program, give them that one-on-one -on -one experience, um, but with a kind of a shorter time frame on it. So it, it worked out great, and it all came from this feedback from our seniors. Yeah. So you mentioned that um, there was other feedback that that the seniors were asked to give as part of some sort of like town hall thing. What what was that called that you were saying? 
Yeah, so uh, Boston uh, has signed on with the World Health Organization to become an age-friendly city. And so the World Health Organization has, um, you know, a list of criteria that you need to meet to be an age-friendly city. And Boston is in process of working to meet that criteria. Um, and we, the city held 23 listening sessions, a couple of which were run by Ethos, um, to invite seniors on different topics to share their insights, their ideas, their complaints, their praise, what have it, what have you. Um, and oh. so obviously a lot of great feedback was taken from those sessions. Yeah, I would love to know what some of like the most standout things that you took away from some of those meetings were that that maybe you hadn't even really thought of that that just got like echoed many times by some of the uh, the seniors in attendance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's never a dull moment when you open the floor up to community feedback. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, issues like housing, um, the availability and affordability of housing, especially here in Boston, were brought up constantly. Issues of transportation. Boston does have quite a lot of transportation options, but some of them are costly and there are limitations. So those are two themes that were recurring everywhere. Um, outdoor spaces is something that we here at Ethos don't maybe think about all the time and just the accessibility. Boston, Boston's a really walkable city and there's so much great outdoor space here, different parks and um, the seniors gave us a lot of feedback about the accessibility of those spaces and, and what might be done to make them more friendly for someone with vision impairment or hearing impairment. Um, or mobility impairment. Um, one of my favorite pieces of feedback um, was translated into one of the action steps for our age-friendly plan was to enhance and promote volunteer opportunities for older adults, um, and specifically having the city explore ways to more publicly recognize older adults who are volunteering themselves to help their community, maybe doing some kind of citywide volunteer of the year award. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting point of feedback. Ethos engages tons of, of seniors to help other seniors as volunteers. Um, and it's something we are really proud of and would love to see expanded and recognized across the city. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What percentage would you say of people um, that you're seeing at these meetings and then that you guys are helping um, at Ethos are single versus still have some sort of partner with them? That's a great question, and I should have some better statistics on that somewhere. Um, I think we have a ethos, uh, our healthy aging and social programs have a really strong following by um, women who are single. Um, I think that's partly because there's kind of this community of women who've come together and they sort of follow each other to all of our different events. Um, a lot of the men who come to our social events are coming with their spouse or their partner. Um, and we've been trying to to promote our programs to single men as well. Uh, a lot of what we do is about um, reducing social isolation for seniors. So it's hard to reach those people who are most isolated. But um, men who are single statistically tend, tend to self-isolate. I'm generalizing, but there are a lot of studies that talk about this. Um, so we're trying to increase the single men who come to our events as well. Yeah, I imagine that's got to be a really really difficult thing for sure um mm -hmm. so you mentioned the difficulty of um trying to maybe get older single men and in general trying to 
get in touch with the older market around you to let you know that you guys are available and that you're doing all these things, I would imagine is somewhat of a difficult thing and is especially pertinent nowadays when so much of marketing has moved to internet-based marketing. Um, so it, like, how is it that you're trying to reach out to these people and as in like the elderly people in the greater Boston area that don't know about you guys and let them know that you are there and the services that you have and everything? Yeah, that's a great question. It is a big challenge to to reach these folks. Um, the, the more tr- currently traditional uh, means of outreach, mainly internet-based, computer-based outreach, is really not effective for this population. Although many older adults are very tech-savvy, um, it's certainly not going to get us to everybody. Um, as the baby boomer generation ages, I think this is going to change. But for now, um, we have a huge list of clients across all of our programs that we communicate with via mailings and via automated calls. So our seniors get automated calls for all that they'll hear my voice saying things like, hello, this is Meg from Ethos. I have volunteers available for yard work. Please call me back. Um, so we, they get these voicemails from us. Um, in in these mailings that we do. So that's our our primary way of contacting people. Uh, But we also really heavily rely on other professionals that are working with the population, uh, both inside of Ethos and outside of Ethos, um, to share information as it's relevant. So, for example, we work with property managers and service staff in senior housing buildings to share information about our programs and services so that they in turn can share that with their residents. Mm, definitely. Um, people who have more face-to-face contact with the seniors, making sure that they have the information to pass on uh, is really important. Now you mentioned earlier as well that, um, Boston in particular and, uh, like just lots of the United States is trying to figure out, what do we do going forward? Like the, the population is getting older. Uh, what was the statistic that you gave me about like the percentage of the, like how much more of the population is going to be senior citizens by like 2025 or something? Oh, um, older adults are the largest and fastest growing segment of the U S population. Uh, by 2035, uh, people over 65 will make up 23% of Massachusetts population, and that's about a 60% increase from God. our current demographics. Yeah, so it's, that's it's just a crazy. Big change for us. So, what are some of the thoughts that people are coming up with right now in terms of how we are going to help these people going forward, and like some uh, either social or um, developmental or or any sort of changes that we need to make to be able to accommodate this? I mean, yeah, that's a huge question and something everybody needs to be thinking about. So taking those statistics and looking at the growth of the older population and putting that in the the lens of retirement. So there's a big trend where people are retiring and companies at, at a rate that's so rapid that companies can't hire, there isn't enough of the younger workforce to come back in and fill those roles. So, I mean, this is not only touching senior services, this is this is touching our whole nation. Um, I think there are a lot of a lot of creative things that are coming out each and every day. For example, I just read about a new app that 
allows you to connect your landline phones that you can call Ubers and Lyfts without having a smartphone, which is really cool so that mm. our, our seniors can access those kinds of transportation without um, a smartphone. There's a few new home sharing programs that are being started up here in Boston um, where students can live with an older adult and help them with some basic tasks like grocery shopping and housekeeping in return for lower rent. So looking at the housing shortage here in the city, as well as helping seniors to stay at home. Um, we're, we're just going to have to get really creative and, and turn everything on its head because this this changing demographic is 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 going to affect affect us across the board. Yeah, no kidding. Totally. All right. So let's start talking about some of the really fun, awesome stuff that you get to do there, Meg. So first things first, you told me that you put on the senior prom Tell me absolutely everything about the senior prom. This sounds so awesome. Senior prom is everybody's favorite event. Um, we've been doing it for over 10 years now. Um, so it's the senior prom, but obviously not for high school seniors, for older seniors. Um, we rent out a hall in the community. Um, we pick a theme. So we've done uh, superhero seniors. We had a Caribbean experience. Uh, we had Midnight in Paris. So prom theme. Um, we send out invitations to our whole network in the ways that I had described earlier. Uh, people come in by the bus load and we have lunch and dancing. There's a local um, nursing home that makes little corsages. So everybody gets a corsage right when they come in. Oh my uh, God, do, that is so cute. I love it. It's a blast. We do king and queen, the whole deal. So it's a great day. And, and importantly, we also invite community leaders and elected officials to come as well. So it's a great socialization opportunity for the seniors, but it's also like a community building opportunity and keeping seniors at the forefront of the community's mind. That is like the coolest thing I've ever heard of. I can't imagine how awesome that is. By any chance, are there photos of any of this online, like particularly yeah. the superheroes <laughs> one? I imagine that is super cool. Yeah, there sure are. So our website is www.ethocare.org. Um, and we have the like a newsroom section and there's blog posts and photo galleries and all kinds of things on there. So you can see pictures from all of our previous proms and, and they're really a hoot. That's so great. I'll definitely put a link to that on the uh, on the post for this on Half Hour Intern. What are some of your other most favorite events uh, that you get to do during the year? What are some of your other favorite ideas that you guys have had that are maybe just like, you know, a one-time idea It only happened once or something like that? Sure. So uh, my favorite event that, that my department is in charge of is our Thanksgiving meal delivery program. So uh, I coordinate about anywhere from 50 to 80 volunteers uh, to deliver meals to homebound and isolated elders on Thanksgiving morning. So we partner with the local Elks Lodge and they actually get up at like some ungodly hour, like two or three in the morning and they're cooking tens of whole turkeys and they've got the mashed potatoes and the stuffing. They package it all up for us and we bring in the volunteers and, and the senior and coordinate their delivery routes to take the meals out to the seniors. Um, so it's a lot of work to plan, a lot of coordination. You know, we're talking 300 different addresses and, and the preferences of 80 volunteers. But Thanksgiving morning when we're there um, handing out the meals to the volunteers and chatting with the Elks while they cook, it's just a really great way to spend the holiday. Um, and we get excellent feedback from our seniors 
on the meals themselves. Our Meals on Wheels program doesn't run on the holiday, which is where this was born out of um, providing food and really good comfort food on a day that really is all about food and sharing and community. Yeah, for sure. What do you think is the most necessary service that you guys provide? Oh my gosh, what a great question. You know, in all of the grants that I write, there's some element of companionship that I'm talking about. So even if the the core service is financial management for seniors and helping them to pay their rent and essential utilities before they use their spending money, um, they're still working with our staff or our volunteers to accomplish that. So we're providing them with someone to talk to, with someone that they know who really cares about them, um, with someone who's looking out for their best interest. And I think that that service, which is intrinsic in everything that we offer, um, is is the most important thing that we do. So basically, as a whole, it sounds like the, the mental is more important than the physical. I, I truly believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, uh, let's talk about you, Meg. What made you want to work with the elderly to begin with? As we said earlier, as I should say, as I said earlier, it's like not exactly the, the sexiest sounding nonprofit <laughs> to work for, you know? So, uh, what made it your thing? Yeah. I mean, I've always loved being around older people. Um, my mom says I have an old soul and I've just really identified with folks who are much older than I am since I was younger, not only having amazing relationships with my grandparents, but other grandparents of the kids in my neighborhood. Um, I sang in our local church choir in high school and I was the youngest singer by, I have to say 30 or 40 years at that point, And I just loved it. So when I went to college, I was really missing that connection with people who are older. You know, I'm on, on campus and everybody's my age except for my professors. And so I started volunteering for hospice and I was really fortunate um, that our school was fairly small. I went to Union College in New York and so I got to know my professors and I was able to do some independent studies where I was doing internships in nursing homes and doing research on elder service programs that I was really fascinated by. So I was able to build that into my college experience, which rolled over after college. Um, my AmeriCorps job that I did or service that I did after college was at an organization called Generations Incorporated. And they match older adults to volunteer with students in Boston public schools to do literacy mentoring. So I was working directly with these older adult volunteers, helping to recruit them and screen them and get them started volunteering in the schools and also building some healthy aging programs for them to take advantage of, like walking clubs. And I just loved it. Like I would get up twice a week and go straight to the park to meet my seniors and go on a walk for walking club before going back to train more volunteers. It was just, I just loved it. So AmeriCorps service comes to an end and I have to look for a job. I knew I was going to stay working with seniors. Wow. So you, you've been like meant to do this your entire life. Yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a big part of my, my whole life experience. And I really have felt that I wanted to work with this population since I was very young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the biggest challenge, uh, of helping the elderly population on on your end um and then what do you think is i guess the biggest challenge sort of facing uh 
the elderly population and like the ability to help them? That's a really good question. I think in my role, it's just, it's supply and demand. Like there are so many people that we want to help and that we want to give so much attention to. And we're just really limited by the amount of people that we're trying to assist. So I think the greatest challenge for me in serving this population is providing a service to someone and wanting to stay and talk with them for three hours or knowing that they could really benefit from someone to take them to the grocery store, but I just don't have a volunteer available for them in that program mm. or, you know, that they, they need, they need a different service that doesn't yet exist. Um, for example, a transportation service to take them to the beauty parlor every week for free, you know, whatever that may be just, just seeing this overwhelming need that we're not able to fully meet, even though I'm really proud of the programs that we run and we're doing a lot of great work. We can't do everything for everyone. And, and that can be challenging. Yeah. I think for, for, for the seniors, um, this is just my personal thought process and it, it sounds a little bit harsh, but, um, you know, taking ownership of what you can, um, we see a lot of folks who are very reliant on different services to get through their day and to, to stay at home. And, and there are some areas where, where if funding stays as it is and the population continues to grow, services just aren't going to be able to do it all. Um, and so the challenge to seniors is to be self-sufficient where you can. So, so this is what I'm talking about, an example. Uh, we tried to pilot a snow shoveling volunteer program a couple of years ago here, and I was um, in charge of that with my coworkers. And um, the the year we started it happened to be this crazy record-breaking winter. So there was snow every other day. Uh, our offices were closed, I think, like seven or eight days that winter. Um, it was just crazy. And so the days we were here, we were just a call center. We had 300 people on a wait list for a volunteer to help them with snow shoveling. It was just completely ineffective. Um, and, and what that said to me is that, you know, seniors aren't these people, and I'm generalizing here, but the people that were calling us were not making any plans to say, stay safe when it snowed. They weren't calling a contractor to make an arrangement for them to be shoveled out. They weren't coming out of their houses and talking to their neighbors and asking for assistance or offering to cook them dinner instead of, you know, offering to cook someone dinner while that person shoveled snow for them. Um, they weren't doing anything. And then when it snowed and they were stuck inside, they were calling ethos in, in a huge panic and, and rightfully so if you're stuck in your house. So it was just really draining on our staff and it was the need that we were definitely not able to fully meet. And uh, I, I think that the ownership for some of that emergency falls on the shoulders of, of the seniors for not making arrangements before the snow. I mean, it's Boston, it's going to snow. So I mean, that's <laughs> first of all, like, it's funny that it's the that you're it's the snow thing, because like, that's the, a perfect metaphor for like, the rest of, of problems, you know, like making plans before the snow. But as well, I mean, that's that's not like an elderly problem. That's a people in the United States problem. And that's probably moreover just part of the human condition of of not planning for things, you know, and just waiting until something goes wrong and then kind of being screwed. You're uh, you're absolutely right. It is not just an elder problem. I think it becomes very acute when when folks aren't as capable um, when they lose some some capacity, whether it's physical, you've just thrown out your back and you can't shovel, um, 
you know, it becomes a little bit more acute, but uh, plan, pr planning in advance and, and making plans for, for services to stay at home and stay independent before you really need them is the challenge that I would put out to seniors. Mm, for sure. For sure. Um, all right, let's go ahead and finish this thing up, Meg. So I would love to know what advice you would give to anyone listening that would like to volunteer their time in their community, whether that be with the elderly or doing something else. If they've never volunteered before, but they think they would like to, what would you recommend? I would first of all say go for it. Um, volunteers really allow us to do the work that we do here at Ethos. We have 120 staff members and we work with, you know, 200 and 2,500 volunteers every year. So, so we, the community needs you. Um, but, but going back to what I discussed around what makes an ideal volunteer before getting started or before reaching out, just be, take some time to think about what you're really looking for in a volunteer role. What causes do you feel really passionate about? I obviously feel very passionate about working with older adults. Um, but you may feel passionate about the arts or about the environment. So thinking about what has a lot of meaning to you, thinking really critically about what you can give. Um, can you volunteer every week? Do you have a free Saturday morning every week? Or does, are you looking for something that's once a month or something that's sporadic and being prepared to convey that directly and clearly to the volunteering manager that you might meet? So just being being thoughtful about what you want and when you meet with that, that volunteer manager to get started volunteering in, in a, any particular program, being very clear about what you're available to give, what you're looking for, and the goals that you have for the experience. At the end of the day, you want to make sure that the experience is a good fit so that you're really enjoying what you're doing because that's going to be better for everybody. Love it. Great advice. It's so funny how much of the time on this show people give advice and it's like, uh, it's so analogous to so many other things in life. And I feel like that really is as well to just <laughs> really think about things before you commit to something. And and everything it's great um meg this has been awesome thank you so much for coming on the show thank you for the awesome work that you do and uh yeah hopefully we all get out there and volunteer more of our time when our neighborhoods thank you so much blake it's been a pleasure Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show, be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview, a particular field that you would like to hear about, or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show. Thanks so much for listening, you guys.